Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, what's up everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Oh man, this week's guest, uh, where do I start? The incredible Mr. Jason Ayers. So Jason is an old friend of mine, dear compadre on this dance through life and somebody I admire deeply when it comes to doing the work and learning to become more aware of our triggers, our patterns, our stories, and leaning into the uncomfortable aspects of releasing things that are not ours so that we can step into the fullest version of ourselves. He is a brilliant executive coach and the founder of Visionary Alignment, where he helps founders and business partners break through their own limitations to discover unique paths of alignment that inspire greater levels of fulfillment for themselves, for their families, for their for their teams, and so on. And I just love this conversation because we went into a topic that I hold very near and dear to my heart, which is shadow work. And to me, you know, there's a, a lot of focus in the personal development communities around positive affirmations and doing gratitude and focusing on the light and going and spiraling upwards into this positive psychology but there isn't enough talk about the shadow aspects of ourselves, the the aspects of ourselves that we disown, the the shame, the guilt, the resentment, the anger that we suppress as a society and individually. And I just think that, you know, for me, at least in my journey, I have seen profound growth by allowing myself to go into the shadow, to accept and love and shine light on the on the parts of myself that are hurting or are misinformed or are holding on to onto protective uh, mechanisms that stop me from truly shining as love and showing up for the people in my life the way I want to. And so I just loved this conversation. Jason and I went deep on shadow work and what that means and how to sort of navigate the dance of going into our dark and scary places with ease and flow and grace and love. And it was just such a beautiful conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear all of the brilliance that flowed from Jason's vulnerable, authentic presence on, on, on the show. And I just can't wait for you guys to experience it. So we'll put this out on social as well. And if anything that Jason or I said on the episode, please reach out to us, let us know what is resonating and let us know what's sparking. This one was just such a deep and vulnerable conversation. I I just love the direction that we're we're going with the show. And, and it's funny, the, the deeper and more vulnerable we get on the show, the more all of you reach out and thank and just are a part of this conversation. So we're going to keep going deep. We're going to keep unfolding and sharing even more um, as the year unfolds. And I just want to send you all such a massive hug. This is the stuff that matters. These are the conversations that inspire and nourish me. And it's just such an honor and a privilege that I get to have conversations like these with people like Jason in service of you. So thank you for, for giving this, this show, this platform a voice, and I'm just so grateful. So anyways, without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Jason Ayers. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. We're all having an amazing day so far. Uh my brother, welcome back to the show. Mr. Raj Jana, love you, and good to be back. <laughs> I adore you, dude, and I'm just, uh, God, it, you're like one of the, my favorite human beings on the planet, and I just, I'm so grateful that, you know, we've just had so many of these conversations off the mic you know, so many deep dives into existence, consciousness, our own journeys, unraveling what it means to to be a man, to to live with integrity and purpose. And 
I love your journey, and I'm just grateful that we get to go down quite the rabbit hole today um, for this conversation. Exploring into the unknown to discover the known. It's um, yeah, I just I just love it when for those of you that don't know, occasionally Raj will um, just show up in town, and uh, <laughs> we have the most amazing conversations and exploring you know, what it means to be human and what it means to be in relationship to others and to ourselves and what it means to be an entrepreneur and some of my favorite conversations. I actually just want to dive in now because I think one of the things that I think could be a great frame for this conversation is the idea of the shadow and the role that it plays in ourselves and in society. Because I think one of the things I've been very much realizing for myself is, you know, as much as I want to seek the light and I want to experience the light and I want to constantly move towards the light, you can't have light without darkness. Like the duality is, is, a, is a fundamental hermetic principle in life. And I would love to maybe start with the question, why are we so afraid of our shadows? And why do we as a, as a species have such an affinity for moving towards the light, but ignoring the darkness. And maybe we can just set the context and then just riff on, on, on how that plays out in our own lives. I think personally that it's, it's partially due to the way that our society is constructed to where we, we've essentially judged about half the emotions. And we've said these emotions are not acceptable. These, these emotions will cause us to end up alone. They'll drive people away. They'll cause people to reject us. People aren't comfortable being around these emotions. And the challenge is we live in this world of, of contrast. I really like to think about emotions and the self that you want to present to people and then the shadow self that we tend to want to hide from others and from ourselves like a coin. Mm. And on one side of the coin are the emotions you want to experience you know, happiness and joy and fulfillment and, you know, all, all of the emotions that essentially recharge you, energize you, they make you feel good. And the challenge is on the flip side of that coin are the other emotions, the emotions that we don't really want to experience, you know, sadness, grief, anger, rage, sorrow, all these emotions. And the challenge is, it really comes down to range. So our ability to feel the emotions that we want to feel is governed by our willingness to accept and feel the emotions that we may not want to feel because they're two sides of the same coin. So, so when you're willing to look and feel and accept the other side of the coin, you get more of what you want. Well, it's fascinating because like, I, I, I feel like the emotions you want to feel recharge, but the emotions you don't want to feel still have a charge. And right? it's usually de depleting. I would argue, like, for example, when you feel sadness completely, do you feel depleted or, or do you allow yourself to actually expand? I feel like there's shame and guilt and judgment of the bad emotions, which is what creates the resistance. Like it's the emotions themselves aren't necessarily negative. Like, you know, if I had someone in my life die grieving their loss is actually healing for the body. It's how our bodies process death. It's something that unlocks more of us, our capacity to be human. But the judgment, the shame, the stories that, that these emotions are bad, or the unwillingness to accept something about ourselves that we may hurt other people, that we may not be perfect, that we may not be capable, that we may make mistakes, like these quote-unquote truths that we want to deny that's the repression. That's what gives the shadow power almost like in, in a lot of ways, like I, at least for me, like I feel like when there's something I don't want to admit about myself, I think a lot of times like I want to think that I'm perfect all the time and I don't make mistakes and I'm, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't have this trail of shit that I may have left behind because of poor choices or selfishness. But like my, my biggest edge, and I'd love to hear your perspective is like, truly actually integrating self-love into all of it and acceptance and allowing myself to, to feel the emotions of like, wow, like 
Can I feel like I am a bad person? Can I feel like I'm a failure? Can I feel these things and still not allow them? It doesn't dictate my reality, but the shadow is there and it's there for a reason, you know? You're, you're mining gold. There's so much power in allowing yourself to feel. And so much of the trauma that we take with us is a result of an unwillingness to feel through it or an, a, a lack of capacity at the age at which we experienced the trauma, in which case our body just shut certain things down, our mind shut things down right to protect us. But the, the, the path to healing and to becoming fully integrated goes right through feeling all of that and being willing to feel into that and to feel into what you need, what you needed, right? So like if you were a child and you, you needed love and you didn't feel like you were getting it and you might feel resentment towards a parent that didn't give it to you, when you really go in and explore and you look at your, your parent when they were a child, you may realize that they didn't have the love. They didn't get the love that they needed. And therefore, they weren't in a place of, of having the capacity to give it to you, which changes everything because suddenly the feelings of resentment become feelings of compassion. You can go back and feel the hurt that you felt. Essentially, give yourself the love that you didn't get. Right? You sent yourself into the future to become capable of creating creating a capacity for the love that you needed as a, as a child, for example, and going back and giving that to yourself. But you brought up some key points. So judgment. If you think about it, a lot of the, a lot of the challenges we face are, are a result of, of, of judging things from coming from this place of morality where there's this duality or this black and white or binary nature, nature of like, oh, this is good and this is bad, or this is good and this is evil. Instead of coming from this place of essentially saying like all of those things are there because they're meant to be there. Mm -hmm. Almost like a conservation of you and I both have engineering backgrounds and like the idea of like conservation of energy and, and evolution and efficiency. And, you know, we wouldn't have tear ducts if we weren't meant to have tears. Yeah. We wouldn't feel sadness if we weren't meant to feel sadness. And I think the challenge is when we, when we layer judgment over it, in a way, judgment is a separation from love or creates separation from love. If you, if you come from the idea, I mean, if you just consider the possibility that love is the undercurrent that runs through everything, that it's always there in the background, and you start to look for that, that starts to change the game. Because you start to realize that judgment creates separation, right? It creates separation from self. It creates separation from love. It, it's protecting you. Well, it's, it's, we, do, we do almost everything we do out of self-preservation and survival, right? So you mentioned like being a bad person or making bad decisions that hurt people. The irony is if you went back and you, you deleted all of the information that you've had since that moment, right? So like, let's say there was a time in your past when you did something and now you've been judging yourself for it. Well, the challenge is you're using all of the information that you picked up since then as a weapon to judge yourself in that moment. But if you were to go back into that moment and to ask yourself, like, do I have a better choice given what I know right now? You don't. There's a Maya Angelou quote that I love, and it's like, if you knew better, you would have done better. So until you know better, do your best. And then when you know better, oh, wait, no, I'm, I'm totally butchering this quote, but it's like <laughs> something around the lines of like, do your best. And then when you know better, do better. That idea of like, if you would have known better, you would have done better. I'd like to think right now in this moment that I am absolutely doing my best. I may have unconscious operating systems, something that I'm repressing, maybe a shadow aspect of me, maybe a part of me that I don't want to accept. There may be things that are governing in the background, right? That I'm not aware of. But if you asked me right now, am I doing my best? Am I loving fully? I would probably say, yeah, I'm doing my best. Could I be doing better? Sure. Could I be putting in more effort in places? Yeah. And to my knowledge, to my conscious awareness, I'm absolutely doing my best. And I think there's this 
resistance to wanting to believe that in society. Like there's this resistance because we're comparing ourselves with other people, right? Like we're comparing ourselves to how somebody else might be showing up in their relationship. We're comparing ourselves to how someone else might be performing in their business. We might be comparing ourselves to how a business partner is leading or not leading. Like we have all these, these, these judgments that are actually just comparisons. But when we look at ourselves and we look at where we're at, I think the fundamental truth is that everybody is doing their best based on what they know and what they have. And it's hard to judge because underneath the iceberg is a, I mean, it's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like there's God knows how many factors that goes into somebody making a choice or a decision or having a viewpoint on the way that things should or shouldn't be. Imagine that you're on a journey and you can see the horizon. No matter how fast you walk or drive, that horizon remains the horizon. And it's, it's, like a, it's like plants growing towards the sun. They're never going to reach the sun. And yet they know that that's the direction to go in because that's where life is, right? That's, that's where the energy is. And those feelings of, I could be doing better, it's a little more helpful to know that there is a better, right? And you're in search of it. And you're at the best that you've found so far right now, right? You, you're on your journey. If you look down, you're standing where you're standing. And yet there's a horizon out there. And, and it's more, if, if you view it more in terms of, of a journey or expansion, I like to think of, uh, of the universe is ex- always expanding and we are part of the universe. And therefore, we're drawn towards expansion. It's this paradox of being able to accept where you are right now, being able to accept that you've made the best decisions that you could have made at every single point in your life. And the way that we know that is, those are the decisions you made. And being able to hold on to there's growth, there's a, well, an ability to be better. Like, well, it's this like, you know, I am enough and I can be better. At the same time. At the same time. That's, that's self-love to me. Like that is actual self-love. And, and I think we're in this beautiful time period right now, I think, where the shadow aspects of self are coming into light, right? Like as a society, I would say, as a collective, like we're waking up to the truth of the human experience. And collectively, I think we've been sort of shielding ourselves or maybe we've been shielded from the truth around like how things have always been and now we're aware and there's more awareness and i think the path to the light is by learning to see all of the dark and it's to hold that space right like and 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 the darkness can have anger right like you can be mad at yourself for making shitty decisions like that's a part of the human experience like you can be mad at others for hurting you like, I, I think there's this repression of that, that energy and that charge. I keep going back to that charge because the charge still lives in us. And if the charge wants to express itself, it's doing it for a reason. And if we don't create an outlet for ourselves to actually process these emotions or have the hard conversations or to explore the truths that we may not want to actually see, accept, or face you know, in your words, it's just going to continue manifesting itself at the worst times. I think you said that right before we started recording. Like, if you don't actually deal with the things you don't want to accept, they're just going to show up at the worst times in your life. Yeah. The the unknown will make itself known. I really think like a, a good way to conceptualize love is surrender to what is and acceptance of what is. And it doesn't mean you can't change. It doesn't mean you can't grow. It doesn't mean you can't expand and make different decisions. It's just allowing yourself to relax into this peaceful place where you acknowledge what's so. And I can tell you that in working with clients, a lot of my work in in visionary alignment is it's helping leaders to become more integrated, to, to fully accept all of themselves because what it does is it, when you, when you fully embrace both sides of you, the light and the dark, your capacity grows exponentially. Your ability to be a container, to hold space, to be calm amidst the storm, 
because in a way you're you're no longer a person who's denying half of what is. You're becoming a person who fully accepts everything. Can you give me a tangible example of like the light and the dark in somebody and how accepting both and owning both and embodying both can actually create more conscious, better leadership? Because I think that you're touching on something that's so important right now, especially for anyone listening who may have teams or maybe parents or may want to actually lead in community or have audiences, like whatever it is. Like, I, I just feel like what you're touching on is one of the most important concepts of doing the work and the reasons why we do the work. Yeah. Let's, let's take a, I'll use a, I'll use a recent example that anger. What I found is, and, and this was part of my own journey as well with clients who were essentially denying anger as a valid emotion it was usually because they went through an experience early in life where anger was traumatic for them, right? An angry parent, fighting parents, someone yelling at them, someone losing control, and they felt unsafe and threatened, and they saw anger as the enemy. Mm. So they started to say, okay... Anger is not an acceptable emotion. I'm going to be even keel. I'm going to be grounded. I'm going to be positive. And, and I, I've seen this split. So with one group, it's, it's this bent towards positivity. And I will be positive all the time. I'll be happy all the time. I'll be, everything is wonderful. I'm going to do, I'm going to do gratitude journaling. I'm going to do positive affirmations and mantras and all of these things. And Tracy, you know, Tracy, my amazing partner, um, she just lost a friend to a very aggressive cancer and she's an amazing person and, and, and just full of light. And the focus was on the light. The focus was on being the light, right? And not necessarily looking into the dark and at the anger and the hurt and the trauma and dealing with that side. On the other side, have clients who shut down more emotionally. They bottle it all up and it's, I'm not, the, the challenge is your unwillingness to feel anger, for example, mute your ability to feel the other emotions. Anger is such a powerful emotion. It's a motivator, right? So anger helps us if something gets in the way. If something gets in the way of, of what we want to create, or if, it, if something is endangered that we love, Right. And we need like that flash of energy to overcome a big obstacle. Like if you imagine, you know, if you're, if you're with a loved one and somebody were to jump out and threaten you with a weapon, with a knife, or if it's, you know, if we look, look like evolutionarily, like a saber tooth tiger jumps out yeah. on the path, right? You really don't have time to think. You don't have time to use Positive psychology. <laughs> yeah, neofrontal cortex, right? The, the front of the brain where, like, let's negotiate with the saber-toothed tiger. Like, <laughs> saber-toothed tiger, we're here. Let's be peaceful. You know, we're, we're, we, we come yeah. in peace. It's not really going to work. What's going to work is anger followed by aggression, right? That's directed at, at a threat. And that's the safest thing that can exist in that moment. And I think what I'm hearing in the duality of what you're sharing, right? The one side that focuses on the light and the positive while not wanting to go into the darkness and the sadness and the trauma, mm -hmm. while the other side, which is like shutting down emotionally, which prevents the utility of that emotion to actually serve when it's useful. Either case, there's this, it's like you're, you're, you're creating a division within yourself and what's, and what's missing is context. What's missing is seeing where each emotion has a, has a contextually appropriate place. Someone you love dies that you're, you're deeply connected to and close to. In that context, grief is the natural response. Going through that, that process of denial and then grief and allowing yourself to fully process through the loss and the feeling, in that context, it makes sense. And where we really jam ourselves up is we lose all sight of the context, right? And, and we just say like, 
we make blanket generality statements. And that, that goes to conservation of energy. We're built to make generalizations. There's a reason why we have stereotypes and why we do these things. You know, can you imagine every time you came up to a door, if you had to stand there and say, what is this thing? What is, what do I do with it? Right? So we make these suppositions and we create these generalities in the case of emotions. It's, it's helpful to go to the other direction and say like, where is it appropriate to be angry? Where is it appropriate to be sad? Where is it appropriate to feel a loss? Because when you, when you do that, you start to recognize, oh, these, um, these emotions are perfectly matched to the situations that comprise your life. But emotions can also be irrational, right? Because when you get triggered, right? You and I both know, like, it's never really about the dishes. Like, when you get triggered, there's actually a laundry list of unfelt emotions, experiences that may actually show up in inappropriate times. And, I, and I'm realizing as you're speaking, like what I'm, you know, what I've certainly seen from myself, the more I allow myself to feel what is and integrate both sides, I'm resolving the, uh, the reactive nature of emotional outbreaks from happening in times that may actually cause faulty decisions or hurt people or lead to leadership qualms or fights with loved ones or expectations being put on others or anything. And like, and to me, that's actually safety in a lot of ways, right? Like when we, and I think that's, that's where I'm really feeling like even the word integrated feels really whole to me. There's this wholeness, this idea of wholeness that the Greeks believed in that, 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 you know, this idea that like there's the light and the dark and the human experience includes both and to deny our darkness actually that's what creates this feeling of not being safe like if you actually just own the fact that you have darkness but you're choosing not to act like i have darkness in me like i get angry but just because i get angry doesn't mean i'm gonna go snap and go do something that could hurt other people just means that i'm angry Right? right. But denying that anger is where I think there's just so much. Um, and I'm really appreciating your perspectives on why people deny anger. Because right? yeah, that makes and, sense, too. And well, and there, there, you know, there, there, there are contexts in which cases we denied it. Right. We're, we're, maybe we were too young. Maybe it was situations that were just overloading. I'll, I'll give you a great example and why it's so important. You talked about kind of being irrational in, in a way like we've. There's a lot of beauty in rationality and the intellect and the mind, you know, the more neofrontal cortex that developed later. I mean, we've built an amazing world with it, right? We've built hospitals and all kinds of amazing treatments and, and things that make people, you know, clean water and sanitation and things that make people's lives better and more enjoyable and the experience of living better. And I think it's also important to remember that we're emotional beings. So if you look at the arts, so we have the sciences, which is the intellect, but we also have the arts, right? We have music and we have beautiful paintings and sculptures and things that move us to look at or, or music that moves us when we feel it. And that it's, it's it, again, it's that duality. There's the intellect and there's the emotional side, right? And, and working in harmony together, they're amazing. Mm. When they're dysregulated or out of harmony, you're going to have some challenges. An unwillingness to process through and feel emotions. With one of my own coaches, he asked me at one point, he said, where are you angry? And my response was, I'm not angry. Like, almost like the Incredible Hulk. Like, stop asking me if I'm angry because you're making me angry. <laughs> and exploring into it, right? exploring into it, I pulled that thread and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm angry everywhere. I have anger all over the place. And I went through this period where I got a, um, a punching dummy, century Bob punching dummy, and I put it in my courtyard. And every day I would go out there and I would just, I wasn't processing the, the origins, but I was processing through the energy of being angry in a safe channeled direction that allowed me to get it out of my body. And to, and to feel it and to go through it. And then that was my access point. I had to process through just the, just the energetic part of it that was locked up kinesthetically in my body. 
to get through that, to get to a place of calmness where I could actually start to study the origins of it. You know, you're bringing up something really important. Like the, there's just so much to the cycles of grief. There's different stages of grief. And one thing that you know I've been realizing as I study my own patterns and where it comes from is, you know, at, well, let's say we have a, an emotional experience at the age of 10 or something like that. It's something that happens that, you know, in our childlike nature, ego, being egocentric in the way that we are without the neofrontal cortex being developed, everything is happening to us. The whole world's happening as a result of us. Everything's happening to us. And so at that point, you make judgments, you're angry, but you also don't have the full range of psychological development to actually feel and process all the different aspects of the experience, right? So like, you might, you know, have a punching bag to process that initial anger and that denial. But then the other cycles of grief are like sadness and depression around the experience. There's resentment, there's guilt, there's shame, there's Oh, and then on the other hand, there's gratitude and acceptance. And like, I think all these cycles of feelings are, are, are like, you have to go through them all in order to truly actually resolve the root of it showing up. And, and I think there's an incomplete understanding of that in society, which is why we label such emotions as good or bad. And we label, get over it, go to this thing, just nip it in the butt, like, I thought yeah, I already just, dealt with this, you know, that put, like put always it, like put it behind you. Like, I can't tell you, you how know, many times like, like I've like let gone go. into, sh- I can't tell you how many times I've gone into shit and it's like, Oh, I already dealt with this. Why the hell is it showing up again? Because it's not linear. It's a spiral. It's spiral. Di- it's like spiral dynamics. It's imagine if you will, like a, a cone, right? Yeah. And down one side of the cone is this thread of trauma that's happened, right? So something happened at a young age and it's, 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 there's this presence of it throughout our life. Well, as you're processing through it, you come around to it and you deal with a layer of it and then you come back around and you hit it again and you deal with another layer of it. And then you hit another layer of it. And you know, in a lot of the work that you and I do, like people will say like, Oh, it's like peeling an onion. And I'm like, forget that. It's a bag of onions. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> there's, there's more to it. And, and, And like such a great segue into the other half of this story about anger. So after I processed through the, just the amount of energy that was locked up in my body and, um, and thank God I processed through it because that unprocessed stuff in your body can make itself known in other ways, right? Where you're not yourself, right? Your body is in a state of dis-ease. You're not at ease, or even right? physical disease, right? This like is what I mean. Like we, we have friends, right. That we've lost who they, they had a lot of pent up anger or shame. You know, shame is, the, is a tough one. Cause sh- a great distinction I made it the other day with one of my daughters is the guilt is that was wrong, right? That thing I did was wrong. That act was wrong. Shame is I am wrong. It's a judgment against self and a judgment that you're faulty, broken, lacking, malfunctioning, right? That there's something actually wrong with you. That's why shame is, and it's, it, you know, this is not a wrong emotion, but it's an indicator of, hey, this is a place where you really need to work on self-acceptance and love and not judging yourself, but showing up and loving yourself and re- recognizing that you, you're, you did the best you could in those situations. So to bring it kind of full circle, when I... T- dove into the origins of my anger, the trigger was interesting. Tracy went to an event in New Orleans with her friends. And I was really happy for her that she was getting some time with her friends because she's an extrovert and she, she's just an amazing, you know, effervescent, bubbly. She's like the, the essence of fun. And then all of a sudden I, I was getting very angry and I was like, she can stay there. She can stay in New Orleans. I don't care. And I was like, whoa, 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 where is that coming from? And I explored into it and I realized as a child that my mom, there were, we had a bunch of businesses, the businesses were taking off and she didn't have the help she needed. So she was overloaded. She was sleeping like two hours a night. And psychologists will tell you, you take any normal, rational, sane person, you put them in an extremely stressful event and you make them go three days without sleep. 
and you have a person who's now bordering on the psychotic. So she was overloaded and there were certain situations where it was just too much for her. And she would go in and start throwing all of her stuff into a suitcase. And I'm, you know, I don't know, five, six, and I'm standing there like begging her to, to stay and like, I'll make it better and I'll, 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 I'll fix everything. I was a fixer and I, I restored, created order from chaos and it was just too much for her. And she'd jump in the car and she'd leave, you know, and, and this probably only happened a couple of times, but I remember trying to find the phone numbers of all the hotels in the surrounding cities and stuff and calling and trying to get her to come home, trying to find her and to get her to come home. I had, I had gotten a glimpse of that experience earlier and, and realized like, oh, like that was really tough as a kid. But this time exploring it, I didn't realize how angry I was at her for how I felt. I felt like things were out of control. I felt like there was nothing I could do. I felt powerless in the situation. And I'm kind of a person of action. Like I, I like to, f- I always want to find a way. And that feeling of powerlessness and that feeling of not being able to do anything, I felt so isolated and alone and hurt. And I just didn't realize that I was also the, the, the cover emotion. So there are cover emotions. It's like ice on a lake, right? Like the ice prevents you from falling through into the freezing water underneath. Well, the anger was preventing me from falling through into the feelings of deep sorrow and sadness and powerlessness, a feeling of being all alone in the world. It's interesting because like we're built for survival. I felt anger for a long time growing up, right? And anger was my, it was there in the background all the time. And it was protecting me from feeling these feelings of like just deep sorrow and loneliness and powerlessness and fear, right? Like, what am I going to do? Like my mom's gone. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to fix everything. I don't know how to pay the bills and cook and wash the laundry and like do all these things like a situation like that, right? It, it can become the genesis for these feelings of anger and, and you'll see it. I've, I've, we've seen it. I mean, we have, we've lost friends who had deep feelings of, of anger that, that even went into rage that were then completely suppressed with this outward need to like look perfect. And, you know, the Instagram kind of like life's great, life's wonderful. And that anger and, and rage came from resentment at not getting love. That's the core of it all, right? To me, at least in, in my experience and in a shared collective experience, I think, you know, we've done we just have a lot of friends that are doing the work in this way. And one of the things that's become very apparent is the lack of perceived love. And I, and I use the word perceived because at that age, like we just think our, like it's, it's very easy to, from a very simple standpoint, look at a parent and say, you didn't give me what I needed. Right. And lock in beliefs, feelings at that very, and I'm going to use the word irrational, but you know, to, to your terms, I love the analogy with the music, by the way, and the art, it is rational for a different context. When you actually go back and understand how human, the human brain develops and you think about what children, the way their brains work, like it's not irrational at all. There's feelings and stories and beliefs that are being formed at an age where the brain isn't developed fully. And there's a protective mechanism because feeling that abandonment, feeling that rejection, feeling that aloneness, that powerlessness is as scary as death. Well, and you, and you brought it up earlier, you know, like you experience something at 10 years old, your neofrontal cortex isn't fully developed. You're, there's this still this very strong sense of like self-orientation. Well, at five, three to five, like you're very much aligned and identified as being part of a unit with your parents right? Or your, or your caregivers. And so that separation created such a strong, because it's almost like part of you is leaving. My context was, I'm afraid, I'm alone, I'm scared, right? So I brought up anger as a way of, of dealing with it at that age. 
But contextually, on the other side of the equation, and, and, and here's the thing, if you're, if you're doing this work, you need to feel through the emotions and process through your side of the equation before you start to understand the other side and to, to make allowances for what they were going through. Because it's very, like some people will rush to forgive by trying to understand the other side as a way of bypassing feeling through the emotions that you need to feel. So I just want to really highlight that for a second. That is the definition of running from the shadow. Like when we talk about anyone listening, when we're talking about like, we don't want to face the shadow, the shadow is our unfelt experience. The truth about what we actually feel that we are denying. In a way, the shadow is the disassociated self. It's the part of you that you try to leave behind, the part of you that you try to bury, the part of you that you try to say doesn't exist. And it's very tempting, especially in this society and this culture, because like forgiveness is seen as a virtue, right? So it's like, moving on, on. I'll be the better person. Everything happens for you. Like all these, well, which also are also truths. They're truths. Like, but it's very alluring to take the shortcut, right? And it's like, Rather than take the slightly longer path of feeling through the feelings that I felt at the time and fully processing through the emotions and then everything else, and then from a place of reintegration, of wholeness, from making a decision at that point to, oh, I'm going to forgive this person. It's coming from a place of of clarity. It's coming from a place, a, a very clean place. It's not coming from a place of, I'm doing this as a reactionary measure from a place of trauma to try to get past it, to try to use it as a tool because I'm afraid of pull, opening that curtain and feeling what was there, right? And, and here's the hardest part is some of these experiences can be so challenging. I mean, you, you may want to work with somebody who's experienced at helping you process through these things because I, I can tell you that like, I, I knew none of this two years ago. My childhood was a curtain. It was a black curtain. And I saw little glimpses and I could remember just these little uh, things. I really benefited from having people by my side who, as as I was starting to explore each of these things, were just there and they were just present and they were like, just breathe. And it's a beautiful thing because if you think about it, breathing in is being open to receiving and breathing out is being willing to let go, right? To, 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 to give some stuff back, whether you want to give it to the earth, give it to the ground, give it back to the person that gave it to you because it was never yours in the first place, right? That the act of breathing through some of these experiences is super powerful um, when you're starting to do shadow work because some of this stuff can be really challenging to process through and you'll get through it. And remember that as humans, we are maybe not onions, but nine layer dips. And it's useful to remember that you're not supposed to go from layer one of the dip to layer nine overnight. It is very useful to remember that the process of unraveling yourself is a process and it is something that happens in stages and it happens in, in perfect timing. And, and I fully just want to finding help is really important. And it doesn't have to be like, You know, like I I found for myself, like, yes, I've worked with coaches and I've worked with therapists and I've worked with people that are trained in, you know, the healing arts. But a lot of times it's actually people like, like you, Jason, who is just, you know, actively looking at stuff for in yourself and, you know, and being able to call you and, and, and have conversations. And, and so, you know, I think developing the habit of, of exploring yourself with others and, and creating that container and asking for it. And I think that's the first step. And, and I just appreciate you so much, bro. Like I, well, I just thank you. I want to thank you so much for just opening up and sharing your processes in the way that you are, because I, I think that's what the world needs. Like we, we shouldn't be afraid of the shadow the shadow is a part of us. It is a part of our, our light. It's a part of our truth. It's, it's, it's what made us who it makes us every single moment. And, and it's not to be feared and it shows up in perfect timing. This is why I love to pay attention to my triggers. When I get triggered, it's like, oh wow, the universe is giving me an opportunity to pay attention to something 
that it's saying, oh, hey, look, like this is something that's showing up for you. Let's start peeking behind the behind the curtains or underneath the hood to see what's there. And and I, and I just really appreciate you, man. Like I, I this was such a a beautiful opening look into doing the hardest work. I think this is the hardest work that we as human beings and can do. And potentially the most rewarding. I don't think I've found any greater amount of growth than I've found as a result of, of choosing to look into the shadow and look into the hard stuff and to look into the hard experiences because it opens up so much capacity. And, and in a way, if, if you view it as, if, if you come at it with an intention of, I'm going to love and accept all of me, all of it, whatever I find, because I am all of it, right? I'm not going to deny who I am anymore. I, I'm not going to deny an aspect of self. I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, for back, a lack of a better word, liberate the, all the versions of me and all the pieces of me that I left behind. And like, we're going to do this trip together. The amount of calm and serenity and power that's on the other side of that and, and ability to show up for other people is just phenomenal. And I couldn't have done it without you on my journey. In many ways, you introduced me to slowing down and breathing and you recommended a book, The Radiant Sutras, and I found a lot of peace and a lot of the calmness I needed to explore some of these areas as a result of that. So the world is a wheel. I mean, I show up for you, you show up for me, right? And, and I think the big part of this is as you go into some of these areas and explore some of the things in the shadow, there's a temptation just because of societal judgments to do it alone. And you don't have to. Everybody has a shadow. Everybody's been through these things. And I think you'll find that people are more compassionate than you would think when you start to, to reach out and ask for help and to, and to, or just to have a, have a friend, you know, through these things because they have it as well. Right. I used to, I used to give speeches where they were very polished and practiced and the audience was, the, the response was okay. And when I gave, talks where I explored some of the more challenging parts of my humanity, mistakes I had made, you know, perceived mistakes, failures, where I was really hurt. And people just lined up afterwards to talk yeah. to me because they're like, oh, I'm not alone. Right. Like finally somebody who's not a plastic, perfect, one dimensional person. It's like, I can see you and me. And I know you can see me and you. Right. Life is traumatic. Life is challenging. We're all on this trip together. And it's beautiful and it's full of light and radiance and joy and presence and gratitude and plenty of things to be thankful for. And that's what makes this whole human experience such a dance and a gift. And it's one that we get to do with each other. And Jason, I just love you so much, man. I'm, I'm so grateful to have you in my life, to call you a brother, to experience your heart and how much you just pour into um, and how committed you are to just expanding into the, the light of who you are by embracing all that you are. And just so honored to just have you in my life, man. Thank you for just being here and, and being you. I got one last question for you, brother. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been, and everywhere you are going. How do you stay grounded? What I've been doing lately is I've been giving myself the grace and I've been allowing myself to slow down mm. and to just be present and to breathe and to feel, to feel everything I'm feeling and, and to feel the connectedness. You know, like feeling my friendships, feeling our friendship, feeling, you know, it's just, it's just been like a, a, an allowing, allowing, which goes to the shadow work as well. It's just an allowing. The universe is in flow. Stop trying to kink the hose. Mm. Right? Let it flow. Let it flow through you. These emotions that you've been outrunning for your entire life, all you have to do is feel through them and then you don't have to outrun them anymore. They'll stop chasing you. They'll stop being there. It's in many ways, I, I'm just observing nature and saying, how do I act in harmony with that? 
Nature has cycles. Nature works in a flow. The universe is expanding, right? I'm a part of all of that. How can I allow myself to operate that way? Oh, brother. Oh, well, I am. I love you, dude. I love you too, man. I'm so just, I just love you. I had no, we, I never know where the conversations are going to go. I mean, I just, I've kind of surrendered to the, to the flow, to the flow of, of trusting that what's supposed to show up will show up and it's going to come out perfectly. And I'm just glad that, just glad that this conversation came out in the way that it did. Uh, Anyone listening, if anything, Jason or I said on this podcast resonated with you, please send us a message on social, tag us in your reflections. We want to hear it. You are not alone. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Jason. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat with you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.